Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foote on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. as we get reacquainted on this incredibly grateful Friday morning of footnotes. I, um... I know that, you know, and, and normally I'm watching every pitch and, I've you know, all the trip to Huntington, West Virginia and back, it, you know, the, the plane arrange, flight arrangements were made by someone else like a month ago. And, and you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, nobody knew at the time when the Astros would be playing or any of that kind of stuff. So it just happened. But, um, you know, in flight for – the begin the end of Tuesday's game and the beginning of last night's game. So, I mean, yesterday afternoon's game. So it was just so strange. I mean, just being feeling so detached and uh, just really strange. But I was able to obviously I tape I tape all the Astro games and watch what I want from each one. Um, most of the time, I just kind of flip to when the Astros score or the other team or the other team is in a big situation and don't score just to kind of, if, if I happen to miss a game working or whatever. Uh, but I, I sat there and watched the whole last two innings because I wanted to get a better scent of Tuesday's game because I wanted to get a, after yesterday's game I did this because I didn't get home till I don't know, I think the fifth inning yesterday, something like that. But anyway. I want to get a true sense of what happened. It's just, it, 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 it was more unbelievable than I thought. I mean, there were so many. You know, the thing that impressed me more than the home run uh, for El Pedro Grande on Tuesday was his at-bat before that. In the eighth inning, Munoz is in, and he has just been dominant. So he throws... A pitch that an incredible pitch. I think he fouled it off, and then he throw, and then he just just throws a pitch inside for strike two, and it just looks like, I mean, looks like he's in trouble. The third pitch, he hits a line drive after getting dominated for two pitches. Oh, down 0-2 against a a pitcher who's just got incredible stuff and has been on fire for a month. And he hits an 0-2 pitch line drive, hits it so hard off the wall he only gets a single. But just, I mean, just a line drive just ricochets off the wall. And then, and then Bregman hits the two-run homer. I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable. And the amount, yeah, you know, yesterday's was luck because he hit a blooper and it happened to fall. But Pena has has gotten some big hits. You know, Pena's. Pena's two-out single in Tuesday's game uh, was, you know, the, the home run doesn't happen if that if not for that. Uh, no, look, the Astros, in my estimation, um, 
has been outplayed in both games, and they're two up 2-0. It's just they've now won eight out of nine against the Mariners. Saw the stat this morning. They're 32-7 and at home against Seattle in their last 39 games. And somewhere in there, it was about three years ago, I'd have to go back and look. Somewhere in there, the Mariners swept them in Houston, swept a series in Houston. It was kind of out of the blue because they had dominated Seattle forever, and they got swept at home. It was, I don't know, three or four years ago. And um, and that so seven of those wins came in a sweep. I, I just, I mean, I, I sympathize with the Mariners because most of my life I've been on that side of the, of the, of the deal where you, I'll play a team and you just can't seem um, – just can't seem to beat them. It is. It's bizarre. Uh, and I again, very, 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 very grateful. Because it's. um. It is. It, you know, I just needed it because I, I don't know what's going to happen Sunday. We're going to talk a little bit about Bengals and with all the Saints injuries. I just. I haven't kept up. Like if Higgins does, if Higgins plays, I don't see how they're gonna win. I just, I just don't see how they're gonna win if Higgins plays. But if he doesn't, then I guess you know I could, I could kind of see it. But it, it's, it, it does not look good on paper. Just too many injuries, and it just never ends. And I'm just, I'm just so disgusted. All the injuries are just, are just incredible. But, um. You know, the Yankees got an extra day off with a rain out. The Braves had gotten that extra day off with a rain out. So, you know, the weather's certainly affecting the MLB playoffs. But these two Astro games, oh, man. Look, the Astros were terrible yesterday pitching. They walked like 84 batters yesterday. Like, the worst thing you can do as a relief pitcher is walk, and they walk people in every inning. And they somehow got away with it. Crawford hits a shot. And it's just double play. I mean, uh, Presley looked terrible yesterday, which is not shocking because he hadn't pitched in like eight days. Like I said, this it, it, it really is a two-edged sword, the whole um, you get rest, yeah, but are you really ready? I mean, they're going to have to pitch better. The bullpen's going to have to pitch better than they did yesterday. That was terrible. They got lucky. Every time it was a big, every time it was a big situation, they get the the line dry. Well, Raleigh hit a weak ground ball to to Pena, but um, you know Suarez hit a line drive to left, and he just happened to catch it. They kind of look like the Astros did in that Game Seven of the 2019 um, World Series, where every time they hit a ball hard with a runner in scoring position, somehow it got caught. Uh, very, 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 very frustrating. But uh, for the Astros, uh, just tremendously fortunate. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Well, Kevin, welcome back. Thank you, sir. It was uh, quite a voyage and, um, you know, planes and all that. But uh, Katie... Planes, trains, yep. automobiles, yeah. Absolutely, uh, yes. Okay, listen, I just got a few points. You learn a lot of things, you know, whenever there's change. I learned a couple of things, Kevin, uh, while you were gone, that Hannah does 
not multitask well, apparently, because when she's co-hosting, which she kind of, you know, was a lot more involved when you were gone, you know, and I guess some in the control room, she has trouble answering the phone. Uh-oh. Okay? So that's, that's Be nice, one. Manny. Be nice. Number two. Now, oh, hey, listen, this is just factual, as my wife likes to say when she criticizes me. Just factual, honey. It's all factual. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, be, and be nice. I did not know that George Faust was a uh, borderline uh, psycho reader. Uh, 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 what's her name? Uh, 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 Hannah knows her name. Uh, she's coming to the Cajun Dome in George. <laughs> Man, oh, Reba? Reba McIntyre. He had a. This is when I came in yesterday, Kevin. When I put the radio on yesterday. George Foss is talking about having a life-size cutout in his college dorm room of Reba McIntyre. And I was trying to figure out why. Uh, but, uh, you know, listen, Reba's got some great songs, but I never thought about having a, you know, life-size cutout. Well, uh, I, you know, I have this discussion. Kind of, I have this discussion. Kind of kind of post and all that, yeah. you know, when I was young. But I never kind of thought of Reba McIntyre as, in that way, but, uh, you know, so I'm just saying. Okay, Kevin, enough with the jocularity. I'm just, okay. you know, I got to. Uh, all right, listen, so let's talk about, uh, I know you're talking about the same for me. I've been I'm just watching this LSU stuff. I, I watch uh, on Twitter, uh, Rohan Davey and this coach uh, so-and-so, and they break down. I mean, really break down. You know, Rohan's a great LSU quarterback, NFL guy, and they break down the, the plays during the game, you know, because it's all, there's a lot of stuff out there. It's, it's the coach's fault. It's the receiver's fault. It's the quarterback's fault. And uh, uh, it's really, really enlightening. I mean, it's a, you know, hour-long video, and I didn't watch all of it, but, you know, quite a, quite a good bit of interesting stuff that shows that. Because, you know, I kind of go back to Jim Moore because I kind of know what I'm looking at. I mean, I'm not an intricate you know, all that spread stuff, but I have a, a decent knowledge of all that stuff, and I haven't seen great quarterback play, and I keep on being told that quarterback was a bright spot, and I don't see it. And, and basically this little video kind of shows that uh, the LSU quarterback struggles with processing what he's supposed to be processing. And when he really doesn't have pressure, he's creating these, uh, you know, that was like. No, I, I agree. And, and look, I, I, I saw that in the few, you know, and I, I kind of noticed that. And But most of the LSU fans, you know, way more about LSU than I do, said I was wrong. But I, I tend to agree with you from what I've seen this year. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, even, even the talking heads, you know, LSU was a bright spot in Kelly. I mean, I. You know, maybe he's just in this. I know you got to build confidence. You got to say certain things. Yeah. But it's kind of like the old Jim Mora thing. You know, a lot of these guys that come on and talk and say, you think you know, but you really don't know. And you're not going to know unless somebody tells you. So I think they're kind of going on the premise of what Kelly's telling them. But Rohan and this coach so and so really aren't going on any premise. Rohan's telling you exactly what's supposed to happen, what he's supposed to be looking for. And, you know, it's just really enlightening. So, uh, 
But anyway, welcome back. And I know there's a lot going on, and I don't want to take up a segment, but welcome back. All right. Hey, Hannah, that... everything's going to be okay. I know she's not distraught like you would be if it was old, too, but y'all have a great Friday and a great weekend. All right. Thanks, Manny. No, it's um, Hannah got her first postseason heartbreak. It, it was it, – it, it's – you know, the first time the Astros were in the postseason was 1980. Um, the Saints were 1-15 in here. The, the year before, the Astros led the almost the whole season, and the Reds nipped them by a game and a half at the wire. Um, and then they played the Phillies and in a five-game series in NLCS, and four of the five games – go extra innings, and, you know, the Astros, Nolan Ryan is given a three-run lead in the eighth inning and can't hold it, and the Astros losing extra innings to, you know, so, I mean, you know, a lot of disappointment. You know, I didn't win a postseason, well, I won some postseason games, but the Astros didn't win a series until, you know, this century. And the Saints didn't win a playoff game until this century or the first year of this century. So it's – I get it. I know. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. On it, foot. Good morning, sir. Man, it's good to hear your boys back on the radio again. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, now, nah, it's a good thing you had no way to watch the the game both of those uh, times on the plane, eh? Cause uh, I think they would have turned that plane around, and uh, because they had a, a insane uh, passenger. On oh that man, I, it was uh, th- those games were crazy. Man, if, if the Saints don't kill you, I think the Astros will first, huh? With all that, what I think. The Ooh, cardiac man. Astros. That's what I'm gonna start calling. They got to play better than that. But uh, you got you got you really got to give the Mariners credit because they really, you know, they oh, hit they great. Fight. They hit great the first game and they pitched great the second game. And you know, they just hit into no luck. They've been hitting the ball too well. That's what happened to them yesterday. Right now, uh, I have to agree because uh, I think it was, it was one of the shows they were talking about how the Mariners were gonna give the Astros a good scare, and that's what they're doing. They're giving the Astros a good care, but uh, the real reason I call it is uh, I think it's time we change uh, Yordan Alvarez's nickname, man. You oh, know what we need to change it to? To what? We need to change it to El Pedro Poppy because what he's doing this postseason is eerily similar to what Big Poppy did that year that uh, my, my Red Sox won to snap their uh, their uh, hundred whatever game. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's been. He's been incredible. And what's so funny is about a month ago, he couldn't hit the ball at the infield. And it's just a crazy right. thing about baseball, all the ups and downs of a season. It's crazy. Right. And you were worried about him when he wasn't hitting uh, the blonde side of the baseball. But, you know, I knew he was going to come around. I mean, uh, but, man, uh, I think what the Astros need to do is rally around, you know, him, you know, and use this momentum off of him and, you know, and, and, get, and bring home that championship. Know what I'm saying? Well, I hope so. Man, but he, they, but look, they're going to have to pitch. Baseball. They're going to have to pitch better. They have not pitched well so far. You know, Verlander got lit. 
Uh, Valdez did okay, did his stupid giving a run away defensively, but but the bullpen was bad yesterday. They're gonna have to they're gonna have to pitch better, and I, I mean I think they will, but uh, you know Verlander's. Verlander's last three, four, five outings in postseason play hadn't been all that good. So, they're you know right. he's going to have to you know get his act together in a hurry. Yes, sir. Uh, like I said, I'm a Boston Red Sox fan, but it, like I said, my second favorite team is the Astros, and uh, it'll be nice to see him get a World Series championship. But Dusty Baker, I mean, the man's been around baseball for a long time. You know that way he can retire with us. With a, a world well, they got to get there but, uh, first, and that's a long way. So hopefully it happens. Yes, sir. And uh, just keep taking that blood pressure medicine because you need it for, for the Astros and the Saints, man. Uh, absolutely. And don't, and don't look at that injury report because uh, pretty soon the, uh, the Saints injury report is going to need footnotes. is getting so long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's unbelievable. Thanks for the call, sir. No, yes, it just. Sir. Ne- Have a thank good you. Weekend, you buddy. too. You too. It just never ends. I, I just. I just. I mean, it's almost like, you know, there are some people that like to read the old bits, especially when you get old. That's what it's almost like to me, the St. Andrew Saints report. Watching it, it's like I can't look at it anymore. It's just too depressing. Every day. I mean, it never ends. For three solid years, just injury after injury after injury. It just never ends. It's just ridiculous. I mean, how can one team be so hurt all the time? Uh, Awful. All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Before we get to our special guest, I want to tell you about the Sweet Dough Pie Festival. Man, I would... I would not mind being a judge for that or at least um, helping someone judge. Every year, pastry chefs and home cooks vibe for the crown, and the judges, the public, judges the contest for the Sweet Dough Pie Festival. And, of course, afterwards, all kind of variety of great sweet dough, sweet dough pies are available for purchase. The Sweet Dough Pie Festival returns Saturday, October the 29th, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Grand Coteau Town Park in Grand Coteau. For more information, call 331-6352 or visit the Town of Grand Coteau's Facebook page. All right, we have with us the voice of the McNeese Cowboys, Mr. Tom Hafer. Uh, Have you ever had a sweet dough pie, sir? Yes, I have, and my blood sugar is going up just thinking about the Sweet Dough Pie Festival in uh, Grand Coteau. Yeah, that sounds that – sound, I like food. That sounds awfully good. <laughs> yes, it does. All right, so earlier this year you had to educate us uh, uh, on, on, a, on a matchup, and here again, I, you know, I've heard of Texas A&M Commerce. I can't tell you that I, anything about Texas A&M Commerce other than – you know they've got they had a close loss to Sam Houston. They had a, a a close loss to Tennessee Tech, and they beat a pretty respectable Southeastern program. Yeah, and uh, Coach Goff is pretty familiar with them. They were a, a Division two powerhouse for well for decades, really, in uh, in the Lone Star Conference, and they uh, they won the national championship in Division two in twenty seventeen. Um, so. 
they've been a good program. They're they're well coached. David Bailiff, of course, has been around. He was a coach at Texas State back when they were in the Southland Conference. So we're familiar with him uh, from those days. The guy that won the the national championship at D two has moved on to to uh, Stephen F. Austin and has has that program playing pretty well. So it's it's a good. It's a good program, and we've seen Division II schools come up into FCS and have success pretty quickly. Um, they're slightly less uh, restricted on their, uh, you know, on their academics for, for some of those transition players as they move up. And so they, they sometimes have some really good players who, who are ineligible to get to an FCS program or a, or a Division One program. So, so we think they're going to have some talent. Uh, the 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 victory over Southeastern last weekend was a, was a pretty big surprise. Everybody thought, you know, Commerce would be respectable, but uh, Southeastern with their win over Incarnate Word looked like a potential, you know, league winner. And maybe they just were flat-footed after the big upset of, uh, of Incarnate Word the previous week. And, and, uh, and maybe it's just that Commerce is pretty good, so we don't know what to think. But, you know, it, it happens. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, when you have teams from – the FCS move up. Look, the Sun Belt knows it. The first year app, uh, Georgia Southern moved up, and th- those were former one double A powerhouses, and they yeah. had immediate success. James Madison is moving up this year. They're not even eligible for conference honors. Very possibly, they're the best team in the whole Sun Belt. So yeah, it's, it, it, it's it, it, it happens. Not, yes, it's it's not as big a step as I think some perceive it as. So from as far as what they do, is this going to be kind of like, um, you know, more of the, the running the ball, or, or what are you facing? Well, they got a really good quarterback, and it's interesting. He, he uh, had missed a couple of games, uh, and uh, the, apparently the, 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 the word out of Commerce was that he didn't practice all week but was able to start at Southeastern and threw four touchdown passes and looks really good. So uh, we don't know if he just, you know, if that was really the, the, the fact of the matter that he wasn't really practicing or he just good, but he's been very good when he's played. And uh, they also have two receivers, one of which is six, six and has nine touchdowns already on the season is leading FCS in, in touchdown receptions uh, that are really, really good. So, uh, that's the that's the concern I think from from the McNeese side. Of course, you know with the injuries and the the three defensive backs who were who were uh, asked to leave the team, there are going to be some young players playing in the defensive backfield. So that's I think that's the biggest concern right now is that they got a couple of receivers that could get behind them or make them look really bad if they make a mistake. So so that that's where I'm. Uh, I'm going to be looking at during the ball game. That sounds familiar. Is this a conference where the elite players are the receivers? Because it seemed like you were saying the same thing with Incarnate Word. Uh, I really think that right now it's a quarterback-based league. And, and, you know, the last couple of years when you had uh, Lindsey Scott at, at uh, Nichols, um, you had the, the, the kid that went to um, – to Washington State, uh, Cameron Ward at Incarnate Word, and then uh, the guy at uh, at Southeastern, the, the transfer from Arkansas that got drafted in the NFL. That those were the three dominant teams over the last two years. Say that the the two twenty one two twenty twenty one seasons, the spring and the fall, because those guys had the best quarterbacks and they had established quarterbacks, and uh, everybody else was kind of struggling and shuffling to find that guy. 
and all those guys are gone or changed place, and Scott moved over to Incarnate Word, and they're immediately still good. But everybody else is kind of struggling along with with the quarterback position, and uh, that has made the league uh, looks to me like Incarnate Word is the, is the, the easily the best team in the conference, and everybody else is still sort of shuffling around to find that guy. I know it's true with McNeese. You know, we've had uh, Knox Kadem play okay, and he seems to be growing, but there's still a lot of growth to go there, and I think that's true with the other with the other schools. It may be that Commerce is the exception to that rule in the conference that that, that their quarterback is is really good too, and and maybe uh, you know that gives them a little bit of an advantage. Yeah, the receivers help. Uh, Incarnate Word's got good receivers, but but uh, the quarterback play is where I think that the difference is right now. Again, we're speaking with McNeese play-by-play, voice of the Cowboys, Tom Hafer. So the two ways, if your secondary is suspect, the two ways to combat that, one is to run a really good ball control offense, and two, on defense, get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. What are the likelihood of either one, uh, McNeese, being able to do those things on Saturday? Well, I'll have to say that the the pressure that we've gotten from our defensive line and, and uh, linebackers, et cetera, has been disappointing on the season. I think that the, the ability to run the football has been uh, pretty good. So I would, I would think that our ability to run the football and keep them off the field would be a, a more likely scenario. Um, that seemed to be where Coach Goff was talking about it, too. I, I felt like the, the defensive front was – uh, really a strength coming back on the season, uh, you know, for the Cowboys. And it just hasn't generated enough pressure. It really hasn't. Uh, so, so that's um, a bit of a concern that, that uh, you know, if they can, if they can just uh, drop back and wait for their receivers to get open that, uh, and we can't pressure them. Uh, that that may be a, a, an advantage for for uh, commerce in the ball game. Yeah. The other tricky thing is if you don't really have a lot of confidence in your cornerbacks, uh, a lot of times pressure comes from blitzing, but it's hard to blitz sometimes because it can get you know really risky there. Yeah, spot on. I mean, no question about it, and and that's probably one of the reasons why we we haven't you know gotten the kind of pressure that we'd hoped is that we've just been dropping seven guys back all the time and and uh, rushing the four and hoping that good things will happen. Well, what about? The trenches, do you have a sense that your offensive line, which has been a question as well, uh, has improved enough to where maybe you can control, have some sustained drives? Yeah, I I think that the offensive line has been a good good one for run blocking on the season. It's it's been the pass protection that's been a problem. Um, And and the the offensive line gets a boost this week with the return of Karan Coleman. He's the – the tackle that was a, a, a preseason all-conference player and, and uh, a senior and was, was expected to be kind of the anchor of the offensive line but hasn't played yet due to a concussion issue. Uh, he just couldn't get cleared to play, and we didn't know if he would get cleared to play. So that's an interesting development, too, and maybe that helps out with pass pro a little bit as well. Um, but I feel pretty good about the running game, and, and we'll see if they can protect. So it seems like... Um, you know, all games are big, but how much of a swing game do you think this is as far as what could, re- you know, something really positive down the stretch that could happen for McNeese as Coach Golf tries to build a program? How, how much of a swing game is this, do you think? I, I think it's got considerable uh, swing game potential. I think losing to a team that's, that's uh, 
new to the conference and moving up from D2 might be the kind of thing that disappoints the fan base enough that they just kind of give up on the season. I don't think they will, but it's the kind of thing that you, you worry about. And uh, meanwhile, a win, you know, it can be the start of, be- of better things. It's uh, unquestionable that the second half of the schedule is easier than the first half. So, um, you know, the, the you sort of know how much, how many wins that translates into. Is it two, three, or five, or, or what? We don't, we don't know. Uh, and uh, you know, for the fan base to keep engaged and keep showing up and, and uh, showing up to the tailgate and all that other kind of stuff, I just think it's important that they that they start to see some progress. And uh, and so I think this game is is part of that. Over the years, I've seen bye weeks work all kind of different ways. They can, you know, I guess if a team is not focused, they they can really drift off into never-never land. But I've also seen it where you're able to kind of recharge a little bit and refocus and work on certain things, and and, and it can kind of start a second season. Do you have any sense that how productive or how do you think this team is handling the bye week? I don't get a sense of it. you know, and, and one of the other things that, that typically happens in a bye week is maybe you get some of the injury, injured guys back or the guys that were gimpy back healthy. Uh, that that has happened with Karan Coleman. I don't know that it's really happened in any other sense. I, it, it was interesting to me in talking to Coach Goff this week that, that uh, you know, we talked about what they did and, and how they've had good practices and that kind of stuff, but he was really talking a lot about how it was a chance for the coaching staff to get out and see some, some uh potential recruits so that that thought to me either means he feels pretty confident in them or he's just looking to next year is the other the other possibility but uh you know that it, it is uh it's definitely you know you can see that that they're still looking at different positions uh for next year and for all down the road that they need to uh to focus on so i just thought that was interesting and, and we'll see where that goes as well all righty, sir. Appreciate your time as always. We'll definitely be able to get a better idea of where to go, um, you know, where the program's going or where this team is going the rest of the yep. season after tomorrow. Appreciate your time. Good luck. Thanks, Kim. Appreciate it. All right. Tom Hafer, voice of the McNeese State Cowboys. We'll take a timeout. Come back with more on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Medicine season. Medicine season. Now, a season in which a college or professional sports team suffers a disappointing season due to injuries or fluky incidents. Also known as paying the piper. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. The game hotline. 706-0111, 706-0111. 706-0111, If you would like to get in, we'll have open phone lines for the rest of the show. Obviously, tons to get caught up on. Cajuns, I was gone the last two days because of a trip to Huntington, West Virginia. Never been there before. Um, and so it was, you know, a, a unique experience and a great victory. 
for the Cajuns. And so we'll talk about that some. Um, normally, we're not reviewing games on a Friday. We're previewing them, but we know how that goes with this midweek era that we're in a lot of times for the Cajuns. So uh, certainly any comments that you have on that, we will um, uh, would love to discuss that. We've got baseball. Astros up 2-0, very, very fortunate. Again, you can hear the Astros tomorrow on our sister station, 98.5, News Talk 98.5 FM. Astro launch begins at 2.37. First pitch is set for 3.07, a day game. Game three at Seattle. Lance McCullers is pitching. Rookie George Kirby is pitching for... The Mariners, who, again, have to just be on frustration overload. I can only imagine uh, how how sick and tired <laughs> of the Astros the Mariners and their fans have been. Again, I, I, I don't sympathize with the Punks or the Yankees or the Red Sox. I mean, I, I just don't. Or the Braves. I don't sympathize with any of them. But the Mariners is a program they've never – you know, for most of my life, until my team's won, I always say, I don't ever, if you've ever won a world title, I don't feel sorry for it. I just don't feel sorry for it. And I kind of still feel that way. Seattle's never done it. And I, I know what it's like to be the, you know, the young up-and-coming team, and you're trying to find your way. You're trying to establish something that's winning. And, you know, look, Castilla signed a long-term deal. The Astros are going to be dealing with him for a long time now. Rodriguez is really, really, really good. You know, I know the national media is not going to portray it that way because he doesn't play for Boston or uh, the Yankees or the Punks, but he's really good. And so it it's about to get – I don't know how much longer this is going to last is what I'm saying. The Astros just domination of Seattle because they're really good. They got really good young players. They're pitching, like I said, though. If they would have pitched this year like they did last year and hit the way they have this year, uh, they would be a handful. I mean, and it, for the Astros, they already are. Astros have got to get better. Man, what a not not. I'm very you know, just extremely grateful that they're up 2-0, but they have gotten outplayed in two games. Uh, very, 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 very good. All right, again, the game hotline is 706-0111. Also would like to hear from LSU people. I was not here Wednesday, so I, I didn't get a, an opportunity to talk to Koki. I I said I didn't have a real good feeling about the Tennessee game, and, and whatever feeling I mustered up turned out to be totally wrong. Again, I thought LSU was going to lose to Mississippi State, and then they won. And then I kind of thought, well, maybe Mississippi State and Tennessee, not that big of a difference between those two. Similar type styles, and yet LSU got crushed. So I don't know what to think of the LSU-Florida game. So I would love to hear any of your comments on that matchup as well. You know, obviously there's a lot of local interest because anytime LSU plays, there's a lot of local interest. But they're also playing against Florida, who has ex-Cajun coach Billy Napier there. And so there's, a, you know, a lot of tangled webs this weekend. <laughs> a lot of... A lot of mixed loyalties, a lot of, um, you know, it's just very going to be very, very, very strange. So let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning, Foot. Welcome back. How's it going? Oh, it's, you know, pins and needles, my man. It's just that kind of time of the year, pins and needles. 
You enjoyed yourself in Yankee land? Well, it was, uh, you know, I, I don't like driving in mountains at night. I'm okay driving with them during the day, but uh, it was, uh, it's interesting. I've never been there, so it's always fun to see new new areas. Uh, well, you left some bad weather over there, Foot. So I, I heard someone say team. that. It, it was it was perfect the time that I was there, so it's bad now? Yeah, the game, game was postponed. Bad weather. I mean, and, and I don't get it. Because I mean that's one of the sports you can play in bad weather. I don't get it. I mean, since I don't get that. That in football. Oh, the weather bad. We got to postpone the game. Come on, man. That's made to be played outside, man. No matter what the weather is. But wait, what I game? What football. game are you talking about that was postponed? Well, game two was postponed with the Yankees. Well, yeah, but West Virginia is nowhere near New York. Still, you, you brought that over there. Bro. <laughs> I know that you, at the end of the day, you brought that over there. You try to get us out of there. It ain't the Indians. No, I you, think but. I think that helped you. Uh, we go see, we go see, we go see. I normally when you go to Yankee Land, it don't turn out good for us. Now, I now mean, you y'all play at noon today, correct? The Yankees. Yeah, yeah. We're supposed to, but that's what I was looking at. No, I, I heard the weather was good today. This morning they said it was good. No. Ah, uh, when I went look, it just still said postponed, and they have the time frame. So I'm hoping something changed. You left a mess over there. Oh, no. Just letting you know, you left a real mess. <laughs> and I'm really not happy with Hannah right now either. Why? A sorry team ain't doing the job. Her team played very well. They, Her they team played very well. They, they, they've outplayed they the Astros two games. You just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, they... they, they, no, they it's, ba- it's baseball. Anything is possible. Three yeah. games left, they can come back. Oh, it's but possible. It's losing, not likely. But I don't care who playing well. I like to see the end result. Who has the lead? I need her team to beat your team. That's all. That's all I'm asking for at this moment. That's all I'm asking for. I, I, so I'm I, really not having a good week. And this little, I can't believe this little Red Sox fan calling in. Now all of a sudden he's an Astro fan. The man now is an Astro fan. He come from the dead. He's been hiding for almost months, and now he's calling in hoping the Astros win. What? I don't get it. But... Look, he he, kind of, he doesn't hate the Astros, and he hates the Yankees. That makes total sense. It makes total sense. No, it don't make no sense, but yeah. it don't. If you're a Red Sox fan, you stay with your team in the dead. You don't sit up here and start pulling for another team because your team is not in the pet playoffs just because you want to see the Yankees lose. It just don't it don't add up, but... Yep. It don't add up. Not no, a man is an Astro fan. He, 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 it's just ridiculous. Not. And I'm going to say this. Jordan already has his name, the Juice, because the man is on the steroids. Oh, yeah. He's on it. He need to be checked. Yeah. I'm sure of it. Uh, okay. And y'all still stealing signs. Yeah. I'm not wishing the team well. But uh, Paul, I mean, everyone's been stealing signs since the 19th century. We're not going to start That's that. That's part no of the game. Stealing signs, stealing signs is as much a part of baseball as base running is. Y'all, y'all, y'all are just in La La Land. No, no. Yeah, La La Land. Very naive. All right, I appreciate the call. I'm not letting it go for it. Okay, okay. But you're wrong. All right. Is it? We got. All right. Let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, how you doing? How are you, sir? All right. I want. I wanted to get your thoughts on uh. On the Cajun game and and something I seen uh, the other night and, and and it's about Lance Lejeune. I think he touched the ball twice, and I wanted I wanted to 
to hear your thoughts on if the Cajuns could add that to their offense because we we all know he he switched to receiver, so it, we all know he can catch. He touched the ball twice the other game where he ran the ball, and we all know he was a quarterback so he could pass. So if they can, if you can at least see the field a little more often, that 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 at least adds something to the offense where the defense has to worry about him, and that. That 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 can at least open up the field for other players, where 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 the defense has to account for him, and other players could get open, and you know he can catch the ball, he can run the ball. He, he's a weapon. So don't you think they they can at least put him on the field a, a, a little more, use him in a wildcat, use him as a receiver, use him as an extra back in the backfield? What do you think about that? Well, I've been asking. Coach Dez about that since Sunbelt Conference Media Day in two in July was the first time because yeah I'm all for it now again it's he's got to be ready for the the you know there there's a lot other things that have to happen here but it seems like now the way the season's transpired especially you know the problem is when you're already dealing with with two different quarterbacks like you were at the beginning of the season it just maybe was just too complicated but. I have no idea when and if Chandler's coming back. But if Chandler isn't back, say, this week or the week after that, then I think if, you, if you're going with just one quarterback with Ben, it seems like it's more likely, it's more functional, it's less confusing as you try to kind of just wade your way through everything and establish an identity. I think it could be an extra boost for a team that's struggling to run the football. So I, I, I'm all for it. Already. I appreciate it. Thank you. No, I, I, I think it'd be great, and it, it would give them a little – the defenses a little extra to worry about. Again, I don't know what he's looking like in practice. I hear the incredible athlete that he is, but let's have to wait and see. I'm all for it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of, of that curveball to the offense. All right, we'll take a timeout, come back, finish out the first hour on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers, Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. We have kind of been getting reacquainted. We've talked a little bit about the Cajuns in this last segment. I thought the Cajuns, um, you know, my my predicted score for that game was 20 to 13. uh, And and Marshall went. And if if, if Kenny doesn't hit the 52-yard field goal, I'd have nailed the score, but the wrong team winning. And basically the reason why I went that way was I wasn't real confident in the Cajuns' ability to run the football, and that was showed out. And I thought that Marshall could run it better against the Cajun defense. That showed out for the most part. You know, I was very the, – the Cajuns didn't give up any big runs. That was the good thing. They had a really tr- tough time tackling the Marshall running back. And he was – he wasn't like – he didn't have all these big plays like Ali did in the New Orleans Bowl in December – but, like, if they would hit him and he would just keep, you know, plays that you would – it looked like he would get two or three yards. He was consistently getting six and seven. But um, I really thought Marshall didn't run it enough. I know that sounds crazy because he had a fair good amount of carries. I, 
If I was a Marshall fan, I'd have been like, what are you throwing the football for? You don't know how to throw the football. I, I thought plenty of times they had out, they had the Cajuns defense kind of on their heels a little bit, and they were just running right at them, and then they would start throwing. And at that point, you know, Tom was talking about McNeese's offensive line, how it, it has struggled to pass protect. Very much what's going on with Marshall. You know, the Marshall has offensive line issues. The Cajuns have had offensive line issues. But Marshall's di- different in that they're able to run the ball. They're just struggling to pass protect. They've given up now, I think, 24 sacks on the season. The Cajuns are the opposite. The Cajuns are pass protecting pretty well. But they're struggling to run the ball. And so it's just a different uh, deal. No, I, I thought the Cajuns' defense was fabulous. But again, it all goes back to the ability to make field goals. And maybe I'm more of a field goal guy than a lot of you are. But I I just, it just, if you miss your field goals, then it just changes the play calling. It changes the momentum. It changes so much about the game. You know, if the Cajuns just made, if they had a great field goal kicker, I think they'd be in, in tremendous shape right now. But uh, still a great victory nonetheless. Great job by Amandaris and the Cajun defense and Ben Woolridge. I thought he played outstanding. All right, that'll do it for this first hour. Another hour to follow. We'll top off the hour at LSU Florida Talk next on the game. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes, and a little different than normal. Normally, we do our interviews at 15 or 35, but things are a little different this time. We're going to start off the second hour today talking LSU Florida football with Dan Thompson of the Stadium Gale Florida Gator Podcast. How are you, sir? Good. Thank you guys so much for having me. Well, thank you very much for your time. So we'll go get things started off here. So far, how has it been kind of getting a read on on Coach Napier? I I think the fan base really likes Coach Napier. You know, it's been an interesting first uh, half of the season. You know, Florida's been a little bit hot and cold, been up and down. Uh, They won uh, against Utah to start the season and had a a couple of tough weeks offensively. I, I think the Gators are starting to piece everything to get together. I think they have some questions still on, on defense for sure, uh, but I think the offense is starting to come together uh, a bit more. Uh, so, so I think the Gator fan base is happy and that certainly recruiting results are, are going well. So it, it's been a good start to the Napier era at Florida. Have you gotten, you know, it, it, it was, it, it took a while in the years that I, I covered him here to kind of get a read on, you know, what he's going to do most of the time. And I guess you don't really want to get a read because that makes it tougher on opposing defenses when you don't. But have you gotten comfortable kind of philosophies and the play calling and, and uh, so, you know, it was, it, it, it was an interesting process doing that in the years he was in Lafayette. Yeah, you know, Florida's in an interesting position. They have a lot of talent, and Anthony Richardson is certainly a talented quarterback, but definitely very raw. He's a guy that is, is able to be a dual threat. He can run, uh, you know, and, and sometimes he can make the long passes. Struggles a little bit on intermediate passes and short passes, and, you know, maybe doesn't have the confidence yet that you want out of your starting quarterback. So I think Billy Napier is a, a little bit tied with how Anthony Richardson is, is playing game by game. 
He has some games against Tennessee and Utah where he plays really well. And he'll have a game against Kentucky or against, you know, South Florida where he doesn't play quite as well. Uh, last week against Missouri, he only threw for 66 yards. And the two games before that, he threw for almost 900 yards, right? So I, I think Billy Napier is a little bit hamstrung by, you know, Anthony Richardson's kind of up and down play uh, over the last six games. But I think offensively, their identity is to run the ball. Uh, you know, Louisiana transfer Montreal Johnson is the starting uh, running back for the Gators this week. And a uh, freshman from Louisiana, uh, Trevor Etienne, is the backup. So uh, I think that you're going to see both of them run the ball quite a bit this weekend. And both of them are uh, running the ball for more than seven yards uh, per carry, respectively. You know, Montreal, the thing that impressed me so much about him was he he's he's a very patient runner. Uh, I saw him in high school, and I'm like, man, this kid is a just incredibly patient runner. And he did the same thing in his freshman season with the Cajuns. What have you seen out of him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh, definitely the Gators' best running back, and I think that you saw that against uh, Utah. Uh, you know, the Gators had uh, Naquan Wright as a starting running back going into the season. Fourth-year guy with the Gators. Uh, guys got, got injured at the end of last season. I know that there was a lot of excitement about him, and and certainly there was excitement about Montreal Johnson. But after you know just having a freshman campaign in a different conference, there's still question marks coming in. He is definitely your bell cow running back, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him you know really start to dominate uh, the the carries uh, out of that backfield. I think that they really spent the first half of the year trying to test some folks out, and now it's a matter of Montreal Johnson and then Trevor Etienne probably getting the bulk of the carries moving forward. LSU, Florida, 6 o'clock ESPN tomorrow. So how how important is it going to be, getting back to your previous comments on, on Richardson, in order for Florida to win this game, it seems like it's going to have to have some success throwing the ball. Yeah, he's definitely going to have to have success throwing the ball, and he's going to have to have more success not turning the ball over. He's a guy that has had quite a few turnovers uh, this season, both passing and our pardon me, both interceptions and fumbles. So protecting the football is going to be most important for him. I think if the Gators can get even an average performance out of him, a couple hundred yards, maybe a touchdown or two through the air, and then maybe one on the ground and rely you know, on their running backs to get the ball in the end zone and move the ball down the field, Florida will be successful. Where Florida won't be successful is if Anthony Richardson is turning the ball over consistently like he did against Kentucky or like he did uh, against uh, Tennessee uh, with the fumble at uh, in an inopportune time. So if he can have an average to better game, I like the Gators' chances. But if he's you know struggling or turning the ball over, I, I don't know if Florida's running back group can, can really move them to uh, – to winning that football game. Again, we're speaking with Dan Thompson of the Stadium in Gale, Florida Gators podcast. So just because, you know, we're, we're in Lafayette and there's a lot of interest, mm-hmm. uh, Osiris Torrance, I know it's sometimes hard to evaluate an offensive lineman, but he, he was, uh, you know, started as a true freshman and had a couple great years here. What have you seen from him so far? Yeah, he's definitely the Gators' best uh, offensive lineman. I know Pro Football Focus had him at one point uh, ranked as one of the top linemen in the country and definitely one of the top guards in the country. Uh, Osiris Torrance has been the Gators' by far best offensive lineman, and I think he's helped elevate uh, the play of some of the other uh, folks on the Gators' offensive line. They do have, for the first time in a long time, a very strong offensive line, and they're not dealing with injuries uh, there right now, but I, I would really wonder how Florida would, would be able to move the ball uh, on the ground without Osiris Torrance. So I see him as a potential, you know, all SEC first team guy. 
guy. I also see him as a potential uh, All-American uh, as well, and I definitely see him uh, right now being a, a first-round draft pick. And we're also starting to see a bit of Louisiana transfer Cam Waits uh, starting to come in as well uh, during some end-of-the-game uh, scenarios. All right, so in terms of this matchup tomorrow, uh, the, the thing that LSU does best on offense is when the play breaks down and the quarterback runs. I mean, Daniels has been fabulous running the ball. So how has Florida's defense done against quarterbacks of kind of kind of like Richardson, their own quarterback is? Yeah. Um, I mean, linebacker-wise, strong safety-wise, how have they matched up with that kind of a, a talent? Yeah, Florida is, struggles on defense. Um, if you watch them last week, they gave up a third and 15, third and 18, and third and 22 all on the same drive. Uh, their safety play has been uh, atrocious, probably is the best way to put it. They've really struggled um, at uh, the true sa- or at the uh, the free safety spot with with Trey Dean uh, on the offense. Or, pardon me, on the defensive line, they have some good players, uh, and they really have some players that are starting to to come out. Uh, that are younger. Uh, but the, the biggest problem that they have is they have a lot of one-dimensional guys or one or two-move guys. So uh, they've struggled with contain. They're great at bull rush. They're not great with contain. And I think if you watch the game against Kentucky, you saw Hendon Hooker make a lot of plays, uh, especially when they broke down. They've got a great linebacker in Ventrell Miller. After those, after Ventura Miller, they struggle a little bit. So Florida is definitely lacking some guys on defense. They have some talent but they've not really been able to put together a, a great game defensively, especially at the safety or defensive line uh, side of the ball. So is it really all about they better get pressure or there could be some issues? Yeah, they've got to get pressure. They've got to limit uh, LSU moving the ball on the ground, uh, and then they have to force Daniels to beat them through the air. Uh, that's the biggest thing. If the Gators can can force Daniels to, to pass – uh, the Gators have some pretty strong cornerbacks uh, in, in Jason Marshall. Uh, Jaden Hill had two interceptions last week uh, against Missouri. They have some guys that will be able to do it. But the problem is, is if they if he's able to break down, the Gators linebackers are just not great in run support on a passing play. You know, these two teams have played a lot of good games over the years. I mean, uh, what, what is your sense and how uh, <laughs> has having Coach Napier there, has that added to this little kind of a – it's been kind of a little bit of a hate rivalry lately. I mean, yeah. so how, 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 how is that – is that added to it or what, what is your sense there? You know, Billy Napier, as you know, is not a guy that is big in theatrics when it comes to press conferences. So he's very much downplayed this. Uh, but I would imagine definitely the overwhelming conversation is, is this a matchup between Brian Kelly, who LSU hired, and Billy Napier, who LSU could have hired? Uh, certainly that's one of the things that you think about. Uh, this rivalry really needs no added fuel between uh, last season, the season before where there was the shoe throw, uh, a couple of seasons before that when we had the hurricane uh, change up where the Gators went to LSU and there was a, a fourth down stop on, on the goal line. This game certainly needed no added fire, but I do think that there's certainly an interest from uh, Gator fans if Billy Napier were to win. Uh, did they get the better of the two deals or there might be some question marks? If LSU loses, did LSU pick the wrong guy? None of which I think you can really evaluate in a one-game scenario, however. No, I, I agree with you there. So <laughs> in terms of Florida overall and being really pleased, uh, it seemed like this is a game that could kind of be a swing game for Florida mm-hmm. if you win it. Uh, how, how important in the big picture of Coach Napier's first season is is, is tomorrow's game? 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's big. I think that Florida needs to win this game. They've got bye week and then they've got Georgia. Uh, you know, I think that this game is really the difference between Florida's chance of likely finishing in the nine and three range, or if they lose this game, lose to Georgia, and then potentially lose one in December to maybe an FSU or a surprise game against South Carolina um, going seven and five. So I think that the Gators, I think from a momentum perspective, from a recruiting perspective, they need this. And I think from a confidence perspective, going into that bye week against Georgia, who over the last couple of weeks has shown that they are potentially beatable. I think that this could put, certainly put Florida in a, in a great position going into that bye week. And then certainly with LSU losing to Florida State a few weeks ago, the Gators certainly don't want FSU to have bragging rights over beating them in the only head-to-head matchup that they'll have uh, before their final game of the season. All right, and again, uh, Dan, we appreciate your time. So one more question. Do you Coach Napier, the way he does things off-season and just handles things is a little different, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we experience. So do you feel like his team bought in? And if so, how long did that take? Yeah, no, everything that we've heard is that his team has bought in and a lot of the guys that he had now are really bought into not only just him and his coaching style and his methodology, but the rest of the support staff that they brought in. He brought in, I think, over 70, uh, I think was the final number of off-field staffers that have really enhanced in a variety of different ways from nutrition to what they call the Gator-made program, which focuses on life after college and life after football, to strength and conditioning into a variety of different uh, quality control staffers and uh, and folks that are you know not on the field to be able to enhance and develop their game. I think that they really bought into that. I think that they saw Dan Mullen, you know, in a way give up towards the, the end of last season. I also think that you saw a change in in what was perceived to be a lot of favoritism over seniority um, to now letting a lot of the guys that he recruited just as freshmen now really have ample opportunity to play and play in the game early. So. I think that a lot of the guys that are on the uh, that were on the team under Dan Mullen have bought in, but I definitely think you're seeing a change in the kind of recruit that Billy Napier is going after, and those guys are are playing as freshmen, and I think that you're going to see that with this recruiting class as well as Florida continues to to try to climb into the top five in the recruiting rankings. But there's definitely been a, a change, and I think that there's an excitement in Gainesville about having a long-term future at, at football head coach and not just somebody that's successful in their first year like. Jim McElwain or Dan Mullen was uh, when they initially came in. All right. I appreciate your time very much, sir. Thank you. And uh, y'all have a nice weekend. Thank you so much. And you you guys have a great day. All right. You too. Dan Thompson of the Stadium and Gale Florida Gator podcast. I mean, does a great job. Uh, No, again, it, the thing that's interesting to me from what he was just saying is total opposite of how it was here. I, I can remember the first year covering coach Napier and, Coach Napier tell him, and, and I'm like, I want Levi to run. And and, uh, and he's like, you know what? If I want to run the ball, I'm going to give it to the running back. That was kind of his mentality. Well, now, and he, you know, Levi was a guy until the very end, didn't throw the deep ball all that well. The last year they they really got made some progress in that area. But he was real efficient at the underneath stuff. And Richardson and everything that Dan was saying is the exact opposite of how it was when he was here as a play caller and the kind of quarterback he had. So just kind of interesting, fascinating to see the differences there. Not sometimes coaches have to cope. I mean, you just, you, you, you cope with and you man, especially in that first season where you're dealing with players that you didn't recruit, you got to just go with the talent level that you had. So a little bit of a different deal there with Coach Napier for. No, it should be a fascinating matchup. And 
We talk a lot about LSU-Auburn. LSU-Auburn series probably goes back in terms of the craziness factor a little longer, but, man, in the last 10 years or so, it's been a lot of, lot of eventful LSU-Florida games as well. So it's been, uh, it's, been, it's been quite a rivalry there as well. Should be interesting tomorrow night, 6 o'clock on ESPN. All right, that'll do it for this segment. We'll take a timeout. And come back, open up the phone lines again for the rest of this second hour on a Friday, heading into a very interesting sports weekend. On the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. How much does foot despise the San Francisco 49ers? Well, you be the judge. I love turning 50 because... I was no longer a 49. Back to footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. The Tesh Project is hosting the Shake Your Trail Feather Paddle, parade, and party in the park. I love an alliteration. That's funny, but I can tell you this. No one wants me shaking anything. But um, it is on October the 22nd. pair of live Cajun bands will escort paddlers as they float from Poche Bridge to Bro Bridge from 10 a.m. to noon. After the paddle parade, there will be a free, celebra- free celebration at the park in Brobridge from 11.30 to 2 p.m. Horace Trohan, the Austin Express, will be playing. There'll be kids' activities, food and drink and costumes, prizes, and a kayak raffle. Come paddle or join the fun with the Test Project on October the 22nd in Brobridge. For more information, the website is teshproject.org. All right, so should be a very interesting matchup. LSU Florida tomorrow. Appreciate Dan coming on and giving us a lot of great information there. And you know, I it, it I don't know what to think of this matchup because on one hand, you know, he talked about how Florida's safeties and being able to defend the run may, you know, it's very iffy. I'm talking about a running quarterback, especially LSU really hadn't had much of a running game other outside the quarterback this year. But um, being able to contain, contain him is going to be a critical part. But both teams are going to have to throw the ball with more effectiveness and more consistency. I think the one that's going to throw it with the best efficiency is going to win. Now, obviously, turnovers are huge in any game. And uh, turnovers killed LSU. I know they got handled by Tennessee, but if you take out all the turnovers, it might not be quite as bad especially when you field punted the 10-yard line like somebody did last night and lost the game because of it. So stupid. Just give me the ball. Just give me the ball. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Kevin. Hey. Howdy. That, uh, that was a mouthful, whatever that, that party. Yes. Whatever that was. Uh, anyways, hey, uh, like you say, um, give me a football reason why this team would win. Give me a reason why the Saints would win. Like, I, I don't see any way we can win this game Sunday. Well, again, I, 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 have been, I, think. 
I, you know, I've been in West Virginia, plus I haven't been studying the injury reports because I've gotten to the point where it's so depressing. I, I just want to, you know, I'd rather, like, go to the dentist and look at a Saints injury report. But it, have you seen, have you followed, like, is Higgins supposed to play? Uh, I think he practiced. Um, that's a good question. I'd have to check it out. Uh, he, <laughs> because to me, practiced, if he doesn't play, like they have a, if they have a fighting chance matchup-wise. Now, look, we all know. How do you, this is not college football. If if you don't turn over the ball and the other team turns it over, can you win? Of course. I, I just don't know how they're going to be able to prevent the big plays. You know, last week yeah. they gave up four huge big plays scoring play. Just awful. I mean, just awful. And so outside of that, they didn't play great defense, but they didn't play bad defense. And, you know, the Bengals have not really put it all together this year either. They, they're they in a medicine season one and two. They, you know, they're, they're, they play a lot of preseason games like most teams do in, 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 in September and even into early October. But, you know, no, I mean, I don't – I'm with you. I don't feel good about this matchup with all these injuries. Look, anytime you're facing a team – with with above average wide receivers and you're playing without your best cornerback, that is just a pawball situation. Um so T. Higgins didn't practice yesterday or Wednesday. Anyways, um That helps. So I know no one wants to hear this, but like this is the kind of game that we need a healthy Jameis Winston for. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Someone that can if we're gonna have to, you know, match up offensive output with someone else. I mean, I don't see how we can come back with Andy Dalton. Like, if we're down, you know, a couple scores. Yeah, if you fall behind, no question. But, again, I don't, Jameis practiced for the first time in a couple of weeks, so I don't, you know, I don't know I don't what think all you're that coming means. Back, but I think, you know, I think we need him this game, if that makes any sense. Anyway. Well, you also and, need some receivers to play. Yeah, uh, oh, definitely, like, uh, we're going to go with Marquez Callaway and Tricon Smith as a one and two. I mean, didn't anyone not watch last year? Anyways, look, I got I right on my on me right now is my just give me three and three Saints T-shirt. So, I uh, you know I don't I'm with you. I don't know how they're going to do it, but if they get to three and three, they will have given themselves a fighting chance. It will be the best win in quite a while. So it, it would be. Uh, it would be tremendous on paper. If Higgins doesn't play, I think they have a fighting shot, um, you know, matchup wise. But you know, it uh, it looks like there's so many injuries. I, I just don't know how they're going to do it. Yeah, and we got the Keith Kirkwood back. That's how our Keith situation is. Kirkwood. Um, yeah, right. Uh, and, and one last thing, dude. Am I the only one that has seen enough of Sean Payton? Like, I'm tired of seeing this dude. This dude is everywhere. I just. He needs to go to another team quick and coach and be done with this little media circus he's doing. You know, I, I actually have I, I've seen some headlines where Sean Payton said this or Sean Payton said this. I actually have not seen him speak with my own eyes as a media member yet. I just ignore it. I don't even want to talk. He, you know, I don't even want to deal with all that. It's hard to deal with it when, like, you have Saints fan friends. Oh, I wish you would come back. It's like. Do you understand what he did? He quit. He, he just quit. He yeah. straight up left this team, bro. Like there was no retirement. It was just it was total baloney BS. Yes. He quit. 
Casper like, or Quitter. And why put this dude anywhere near my team? I'm with you. He was saying something about like taking Taysom Hill and stuff like that if we didn't want him. It's like, dude, just leave us alone. Just, just stop. You know? I hear uh, you. It, I get it. I get the frustration. All right, Kevin. I appreciate All right. it. Thank you. No, it's um you know, the the Bengals Joe Mixon is his first couple of years was like he's not good, he's not good, he's not good. And then just when I gave up on Joe Mixon, he got good. I mean, he's just a strange guy to evaluate. And I uh you know, if for the Saints to win this game, they're gonna they cannot let him have a big game. Like if they can't tackle him out of the backfield when they throw underneath, they they can they gotta figure out a way to not give up big plays. They just can't do it. The Bengals haven't been that functional this year. And so they they can't just give up all these big pass plays, but they have big play receivers. Or they have one big time big play receiver. And so I I just The safety play last week was so bad. I mean, you know, is Marcus May ever going to play for this team? Is he ever going to play again for the New Orleans Saints? I mean, this guy, just awful. I mean, I I don't know what they're going to do. There's nothing to feel real good about other than if Higgins doesn't play. You feel like you got a fighting chance to match up with him. But, man, I I think it's going to take a plus two. All right, one more. Let's go back to the phone lines, and then we'll get to our next timeout. Hello. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. I don't know. I must have – I must have have forgotten how to analyze games because I'm hearing all of this negativity, this pessimistic pessimism, pessimism about the Saints game against the Bengals, and I'm like, who are the Bengals? Are they the next coming of the 49ers? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, we played Minnesota, a Minnesota team who's pretty who's pretty good, and and I would put Thielen and Jefferson ahead of. Chase and Higgins, I, because I think we match up caught, like defensive wise. I think we match up better with Chase and Higgins and, and Higgins than we did with uh, Jefferson and Thielen. Now that being said, we we gave up some yards to those guys, but we shut the run we, we shut the run game down. And I think the running back from Minnesota is a better. Well, I ain't gonna say he's better than than. Uh, than the, than the guy from the Bengals, but you know, I, I would say they on par. Yeah, and I think I think that that we, we'll win the line of scrimmage on the defensive front, and I think that's where the game is won in the trenches in in football, and I think we have the advantage on both sides of the ball, on with our offensive line and with our defensive line. That being said, I I don't I don't see where the Bengals have a Decided advantage. They coming into the Superdome. And, well, and the granted, Saints are not a good yeah, home team. The, the Saints are not a good home the, team. And, and, and the Saints are not a good home team. The, the, the problem that I have, look, James, I hope you call Monday and say, boy, you were, y'all were wrong and I was right. I mean, 
you can come host a show if the Saints win for all I care because really I, I'm be good with it. I, I'd celebrate you. I'd I'd open the door for you. But I, but but I think the difference is the Bengals defense is better than the Vikings defense. I'm not saying the Bengals defense is great, but I think it's better than the Viking defense. So we'll see how that. Goes. I would say the defensive front is better than the Vikings defensive front. I agree with you. With Sam Hubbard and and, and and Trey Hendrickson. But if all we have to do is run the ball, if we don't turn over the ball, if we don't turn over the, the ball, if both teams play a perfect game and no turnovers happen in the game, I think the Saints have a better talented team than the Bengals do. Let, 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 no, opinion, I, I agree potential-wise, but let me ask you this. Have the Saints played a game yet this year that can win on Sunday? I would say yes, without the turnovers. The turnovers have been killing us. It's oh, not like absolutely, we've been playing terrible absolutely. football. I've seen many games, even last year, even when Drew Brees was the quarterback, I saw games that just I just created that, like, what, we can't move the ball or we can't, you know, what's going on. The, the reason why we've been losing, we lost those games early in the year is because Missed of field turnovers. goals and turnovers. And, Missed and field goals and turnovers. And a, turnovers and for touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Turnovers for touchdowns. Right. So not, not only we did, did we turn it over, but they ran it back into the end zone. So that cost us games. I hope you're you right. Know, uh, I hope you're right. So we get that squared away, this, and we did it last week, and we came up with the victory, 39 points. Yeah, granted, they, they made some big plays. But we, we if we cut, we eliminate the big plays. I think we win this game. And look, if the officials want to cheat for us again, I'm down one this year. We'll be even, and we'll be three and three. We'll be even with the officials. I'm I'm good. I'm I, I, look. I'm all for it. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Thank you for the call, sir. Very much. All right. Have a good one. Take care. We'll take a timeout. We'll be back. We'll get into our little Saints Bengals history since the Saints were brought up in this segment. Kind of worked out perfect. We'll be back on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Kevin Foote, an award-winning journalist, popular sports talk show host, and a man who apparently moonlights as a doctor. A medicine season of a different strand in 12, obviously, because the criminal commissioner decided to inflict them with with the, the whole bounty gate silliness. His descriptions of illnesses are extremely concise. Not a normal strand of a medicine season. It was a different strand. Just out of the blue from Timbuktu and all of this bounty gate silliness. Dr. Foot is ready to write a prescription for what ails your favorite team here with more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Want to remind you to go to the game clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today. You should know the drill by now. When you do this, it puts you in, in position and win all kind of great prizes, special unique prizes, but also uh, some of the regular ones, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lesser Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou or a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. Or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. You can't win if you don't join. So 
It's free. It's simple. Sign up today. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. <clears throat> All right. Saints Bengals history. You know, most of us know a lot about the Falcons or the Arnolds or even the Vikings, which is just a miserable history. Don't you just hate the Minnesota Vikings? But but the Bengals is a little different. Um, the Saints and the Bengals are seven seven. You know, that didn't happen too much over the years, and they've obviously only played each other fourteen times in, in fifty six years because they're in different conferences. But um <clears throat> I got to tell you, uh, coming up with three on both sides wasn't a huge challenge, but it was a little bit of a challenge. Look, the number, it, it, it was no, what was the best, most thrilling, the greatest Saints victory over the Bengals? That is unquestioned. That was easy. I, you know, that wouldn't, you know, you, know, you didn't need to do any research on it. At least I didn't. 1987. Uh, remember, the Saints finished the re- first ever winning season. Saints finished the, the regular season with nine straight wins. First ever playoff appearance. Towards the end of that nine-game winning streak, they went to Cincinnati. Those of you who weren't around in 1987, you might remember the 2009 season. In fact, when that game was going on, Saints at at Miami. If you remember the Super Bowl year when the Saints went to Miami, they were down, if it wasn't 24-3, it was 24-7, very similar score. And then they had this massive second half and came and Reggie was flying through the air and they won. Even while that game was going on, I can remember thinking back to this bingo game, 1987, most exciting, thrilling win uh, Saints are down 24 to 3 in the first half at Cincinnati. Uh, at the time, I, don't, I forget exactly, but they had won like five or six, maybe seven in a row. They, the, the winning streak had started to really build some momentum. And they're, they're down 24 3. They will go from Bobby A. Bear to Dave Wilson. Now, again, Dave Wilson is a guy that didn't do very, he didn't have a very good stretch for the Saints. But anytime anyone brings up Dave Wilson, I think of this game. Dave Wilson came in in the second half played very well not only did the Saints come back and win after being down 24 to 3 they won 41 to 24 they scored 38 unanswered points to win that game so that was that was no question number one on the list of of the three best Saints victories over the uh over the Bengals another one happened about 10 years before that 1978, and and this wasn't a thrilling win or anything, but the Saints were one and two at the time. They and it ended up being a a, a season in '78. If they didn't get cheated by the officials and 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 fate with the Falcons, should have been the Saints' first ever winning season. Uh, if not for the two kind of hail mary, big Ben fluke wins the Falcons had that year, but. It kind of got going at Cincinnati. They played the Bengals. They they won twenty to eighteen, and, and that got them to two and two. And they kind of you know started becoming a little bit better of a football team because they were coming off a very bad year in '77. So that was that was a big win in what should have been the Saints' first winning season ever. The other one, there wasn't a great number three option, I don't think. But in 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 2010, the Saints' second medicine season, well. 
second under on the, in the Breeze, uh, Casper the Quitter era. They're playing the Bengals. The Bengals had this, you know, big second half and and, and try and and try to to make it close, but the Saints won thirty four to thirty two by four. Uh, one of my favorite Saints names, Chris Ivory, he, he ran stiff as a board. I call him two by four. He had a fifty five yard run, and Robert Meacham had a long fifty two yard catch in that game. Saints moved to to nine and three after that victory. So that would be my three um, most satisfying, exciting wins. As far as losses, <clears throat> number one's pretty easy. The Saints in 2002, when they started that slide 20 years ago, uh, and you had a lot of sports holes in this area, and you, I think we've got a, a 20 years later another good patch of sports holes I think are going to reveal themselves this weekend. But uh, the Saints were got off to that great start that year and lost a very disappointing 20-13 to 13, uh, game. The Bengals scored 13 points in the fourth quarter, beat the Saints 20-13, to 13th, and that, that contributed heavily to the three-game losing streak and not making the playoffs. Uh, number two, 1984, the Saints lost 24-21 to the Bengals. That was they 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 scored again late. Uh, 50 Hobie Brenner, by the way, had a 54-yard touchdown pass. I called him the piano man back then. I don't know how Hobie Brenner had a 54-yard touchdown pass, but he didn't. And uh, this was Drew Brees' first really bad game as a member of the New Orleans Saints in the 2006 season. He, he had a pick six and threw another couple interceptions, and the, the Saints were kind of rolling at the time, but the Bengals came into the Superdome and beat them 31-16 with 21 points in the fourth quarter. So the Bengals have a history of scoring a lot of points late on the Saints, and hopefully the Saints can prevent them from doing that. So that would be my top three wins and top three worst losses in this Bengals-Saints series, which is 7-7 seven to seven going into Sunday and Speaking of 500, if the Saints can win and get to 3-3, three and three, I'll be one happy puppy come Monday morning. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Well, you're going to be one happy puppy come uh, Monday, Kevin, because you're going to win Sunday. I, I'm not getting And if it's going to be one of you, uh, you're going to have to adjust your top three favorite wins, too, because it's going to be there, too, Kevin. I'm not getting where everybody's so hot that think Cincinnati is the greatest football team in the, the, the world. I mean, Am I missing something here? No. It, look, if the Saints were at the level that I was envisioning them being, if they were reasonably healthy and they started to get some offensive um, cohesion and efficiency by this point, I wouldn't. I would. I don't. I think the Saints on paper are better than them. But right now, the Saints are continue to be a mass unit. I still don't trust. You got different quarterbacks. You got wide receivers out. I don't trust the efficiency of the of the offense at all. And now you're playing without your best cornerback. I, I just don't like that that part of it. Okay, Kevin, have you been seeing any of the Bengals games this year? I have seen a couple of them, yes. Now, you know what? Uh, I'm not saying the both style, but you know what the teams are doing with, uh, with Cincinnati uh, this year? They are making sure they, uh, the, uh, the, the state is sent over the top, and they're making Cincinnati – uh, uh, go uh, very slow down the field. We're not giving them the big play. And it, that, that recipe has worked on them all year long. Baltimore's sec- secondary is way, was way injured, probably just as much injured as New Orleans was. And look, they shut this. I mean, they kept Cincinnati in check this past Sunday. Look, that's, 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 that's the MO now. And, you know, I think the key for the Saints to win, and it will be the key, and will it will happen, is the pass rush. If there's the 
Saints won't need to blitz, and they're going to keep it short. And then the, the, the Saints front four, which is healthy, is going to get a rush and is going to make the difference. I hope you're right. Look, again, if you're right and James is right, y'all can both come host the show. Monday. I'm, I'd be all for it. No, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Trust me. Believe me. I hope you're right. Now, tell me about um, your series against the Padres. You you know, we're in similar situations because you own the Padres and the Saints own, I mean the Saints, the Astros own the Mariners. The Astros should be down 0-2, but they got fortunate. They're 2-0. So what, where are you right now in that series? Well, Kevin, you know, it, let me tell you something, man. I'm, I'm nervous and kind of you know, I, I, I'm confident and nervous at the same time. I don't know if you could be that. You know, the, the fact that we, we've owned them in the past. But, man, look, man, man, this, if, if Snell's on, I remember that World Series uh, game six against Tampa Bay, and, man, boy, he was good. If Snell is on, we might lose this game tonight. And with him, happens, with him, it's whether he walks batters. When he walks batters, he's in trouble. If he doesn't walk batters, the other team's normally in trouble. Exactly. And you know, I mean, and he he pitched good at the end of the year. So I mean, I'm 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 worried about the game tonight. Now, that being said, San Diego has to win the game tonight. If they lose tonight, it's over. But I mean, if Snell goes out there and beats the, the like the, the Snell we're talking about, uh, it, it, it's going to be tough. But uh, you know, it, it is it's full season baseball, Kevin. It, it's the greatest thing. In the, it, Every pitch. Every pitch is we'll, tinch. And you will win Sunday, Kevin. You got the FedEx man's promise on that. You All right. Win. All right. I hope you're right. Thank you. I hope you're right. Oh, man, I hope you're right. All right. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back one final segment. I want to talk a little high school football on a Friday on the way out. We'll do that on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot. want to remind you it's time. Put on your dancing legs for the official run and duathlon for the Festival Acadien et Creole, the race through Lafayette's historic district, ending up at Girard Park for the Festival Acadien et Creole this Sunday. Compete in the 5K or the 10K or the run paddle run and the duathlon. Taking part in the event helps support local parks, community projects, and the festival that you love. Volunteer or register at latrail.org. That's latrail.org. Or say, okay, I said I want to talk high school football. Huge victory for the Turlings Catholic Rebels last night. They defeated Westgate, and then last night they beat LCA. I was a little, in terms of that matchup, I didn't know how – I was a little concerned that they wouldn't be able to run the ball for someone who was thinking Turlings was going to win um, at all because LCA is always so good on the line of scrimmage. I thought Turlings' defense would play pretty well. I thought the same thing against Westgate. They got four interceptions last night, so they did play very well. Got a lot of big plays. Turling's defense this year is better than most people thought. I saw it early on. I saw them play a couple times early on. And they're not big, but they're really aggressive. So, uh, And then, uh, you know, to not only did they win, they did it in dramatic fashion with a, what, I think it was a 38-yard touchdown pass to Bradford Kane inside the inside um, a minute to go. So great drama. 21-17 over LCA, and so you beat beaten Westgate, beaten LCA. Now it's going to come down to the great matchup 
between Turlings and, and St. Thomas More later this season, essentially for that district title. Although there are other games to play that could change that, obviously. But um, but no, great win, so congratulations to them. The ERAD Bobcats went to Kaplan and won 37-22. And, you know, Campisi's been running the ball like crazy for Kaplan. And Kaplan ended up throwing for more yards than ERAD. I don't know what happened in that game. I, I, didn't, I, I was not there, obviously, and... Uh, it seemed like on paper, looking at the box score, looked like the kind of game maybe where Eraf really put a lot of people in the box and kind of forced and dared Kaplan to throw, and they did it with some success. But uh, but Kaplan had two fumbles, and um, it's never good to fumble. Anybody knows that, especially Saints fans these days. So kind of an interesting uh, victory there. Uh, nice nice win, road win on a Thursday for Erath over Kaplan. Other Karen Crow won 56-6. Not a big surprise over Como at all. Uh, Westminster hadn't been winning, had a lot of success this year, but they beat North Central 35-32. That was a nice win. OC's played a really tough schedule. They got off to a rough start record-wise, but they handled Catholic Point P last night 30-8. So a really um, nice win for them. And Westgate went to North Vermillion and won 39-7. So they kind of got back on track after that loss to Turlings. And again, Turlings is undefeated on the season. They've now defeated, you know, a St. Charles team that won a state championship last year. They defeated a Westgate team that won a state championship last year. They have now defeated an LCA team that played for the state championship last year. And they also defeated in the beginning an Opelousas team that hasn't lost since. So, you know, I don't I have I don't really pay that close attention to power rankings and all that until like week nine or ten of the season. But Turlings has got to be through the roof with all the teams that they've beaten so far. They also beat a very good Notre Dame team as well. And so um, hard to argue with uh, what Turlings has done so far and, um, you know, kind of just really builds up that momentum for the STM-Turlings matchup in a few weeks. So, wow, what a, what a nice win for them. And I, I know a couple of – Turlings coaches and fans who are big Astro fans and big Turlings fans, obviously. And they, um, I hope they took their heart, their blood pressure medicine this week because between the two Astro games and this Turlings, uh, thrilling win at LCA last night, they've had, um, they've had a, a rough go in terms of, well, it's fun. They've won. But man, the the road to get there is just so stressful. Sometimes I I was telling Hannah before, you know, just the um, watching some of the Mariner fans just agonize. I I I feel I feel for them. I get it. I've been there, and it's it's it, it, it's really tough. All right, so appreciate Dan coming on and Tom coming on and your phone calls. You know, the Cajuns don't play because they got a big win on Wednesday. LSU a big game. Baseball, huge games. And Saints, oh, huge. Y'all have a nice weekend.